being. How are y'all doing? Good. <laughs> nice and exciting. Uh, can we give the worship team a hand for leading us in worship today? Um, you guys don't need invited, by the way, to give the Lord a hand or give anybody a hand around here. I'm not saying that for myself, but, you know, in the future, feel free to worship the Lord. Feel free to clap. Uh, we love that kind of stuff around here. Um, I know it's not always been a part of who we've been long term, but it's who we would love to be, right? So, so feel free to worship the Lord freely this morning, but we're so glad that you're here. And I want to make a special just... Um, um, just uh, welcome uh, to you guests, anybody who's, who's been here um, for a while and you're still just kind of getting your bearings at FBN, or maybe this is your very first Sunday, in which case, we're so glad that you're here. And if you haven't done this yet, let us know uh, that you are here. We'd love to connect with you and just get to know you a little better and see how we can minister to you uh, ongoing. And so if you want to just kind of open that line of contact, then there are some welcome cards around you. And you can grab one of those, fill that out, and put it, um, uh, turn it in at our Connect desk right out here. Or you can just follow the QR code in your bulletin and, and uh, fill out a digital one, whatever's easiest for you. We'd love to get to know you um, and find out how we can minister to you. Okay, we're going to continue in our study in 2 Timothy uh, this morning. I want to invite Lisa Telly up, who's going to read uh, our passage today. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, looking at verses 3 through 7. And I think if you're using one of those black uh, um, uh, Bibles around you, I think that's page 1055, somewhere around there. So why don't you hop there, uh, stand up for the reading of God's Word this morning, and I'll invite Lisa up. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. Let's have a word of prayer. Our God, we, uh, we're so uh, just thrilled to be here together, to worship together, to honor you uh, together as a people, uh, as a collective people. We just pray that you would use your word now to, uh, to speak to our hearts, to draw us nearer into you, to embrace uh, the hardship that you've called us to um, for the sake of the gospel. And God, that you would um, satisfy and fulfill the promises that you've also committed to us. That if we would, if we would uh, allow ourselves to be stretched, if we would uh, engage and, and endure in hardship for your name, God, that what you have on the backside of that is so much better uh, than anything else. Let us trust you in this, and would you create that among us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're going to continue today in 2 Timothy, um, and we, she just read uh, your passage for us today, and, and uh, I've loved this study. Uh, I'm really grateful for just last week and just this, these verses, right? If you want to look at with me just to, for context purposes, verses 1 and 2, um, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And if you were here last week, um, well, if you weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to this message because inside of that message from last week that Pastor Brett gave uh, really captures a lot of our values and who we are as a, um, as a local church, as FBN, right? And what he talked about um, was this place where, where Paul encourages Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, 
right? That there is a strength beyond human ability to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus as you take the gospel truth that you have and as you pour it into the lives of others. That's what Paul was telling Timothy to do. And it's this idea of multiplication. As Brett says, what God has given you, it was never meant to just end with you, right? Whatever God gives us, it is to go through us as conduits into the lives of other people. And that's true uh, in so many ways, but certainly with just our our gospel ministry and and all he gives us to, to pursue him in life. But to do that, and if you've ever tried to do that, you understand that there are complications that come with, with growing in Christ. There are hardships. There are things that he wants to do in your life and in your heart that kind of sting, right, whenever he stretches you, whenever he grows you, whenever he wants to remove some of those things almost surgically out of your heart, your mind, and your life, right? And so it's this idea of multiplying not just maintaining, and it takes an extra amount of strength, a strength that comes from Christ, right? I think we have in our world kind of an infatuation with this strength and resiliency of the human spirit, right? Uh, Sometimes it's even joke-worthy. When I was in high school, my brother enlisted in the Marine Corps, and uh, fresh in the Marine Corps, he always had this shirt that he wore, and it was black, and on the back it said, um, it said, pain is just weakness leaving the body, Right? Pain is just weakness leaving the body, and it was in this big, bold, grungy font, and it just made it look like you were supposed to read it as like a WWE wrestler would, right? Yelling and grunting. It's just oozing with testosterone, right? Even now when I think about it, I, I like to joke at like, joke at like hyper-masculine things, and so when I come across that phrase even now, I'll just start yelling and grunting in my own head, and like all of a sudden I want to wrestle something, right? That's the impact that it has. We love the strength and resiliency that can come from the human spirit. But listen, any strength a human can muster in their own ability has really little effect when it comes to spiritual hardship, right? And so if you are certain to go through spiritual hardship and you, you are not able to endure it well based on your own strength, then we need something beyond. And by the way, the Bible pretty much promises us that, that hardship in Christ, it just can't be avoided. It's not an option. It's more than certain. It's even necessary for Christian maturation. And this is why we need a strength that comes from beyond us. Not only to multiply the message, as he says in verses 1 and 2, but also to endure all hardships of all kinds when it comes to living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about today in verse 3. You'll see him invite Timothy into what he says, share in suffering as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. To share in suffering, right? It's a similar thing that he said in verse 8 of chapter 1 where he says, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, a.k.a. strength from the grace of Jesus Christ. Right? Now, for us, we looked at that passage quite a few weeks ago at this point in time. But for him, he's repeating himself, right? Whoever, whoever wrote this down for him, he's, he's being a little bit repetitive because he understands how important it is that we, would, that we would wear the strength of Christ and the power of God in our gospel ministry rather than just relying on ourselves. Now, he 
Some people might read this and think, you know, it's just another rule, it's another command, right? But I see this more as an invitation. Uh, in fact, when he says share in suffering, it literally means to just join in. It's almost like more of an invitation, right? And I don't know if you've been around Christian people a lot or if you've been a part of church a lot, but there is something contagious about witnessing another Christian experience hardship, isn't there? There's something contagious when you see somebody else go through a hard time and lean into the Lord. There's something contagious when you see people make, uh, uh, make decisions of their own volition to follow the Lord, knowing that it's going to cost them something. And so in that, there's kind of a camaraderie that comes whenever we see other people go through it, and then we want to join in ourselves. When I see other Christians suffer and endure hardship because of the gospel, you know, directly, it doesn't make me say, like, I don't want to be a Christian. It inspires me uh, to follow in suit, right? And, and you probably share that too. That's why we love the gathering of believers. That's why we love group. That's why we love serving uh, on, on teams around here. And you start to feel some of those hardships, right? If you've ever served our nursery kids, uh, you've felt that hardship to a degree, right? Our space is too little and our kids are too many. You know, there's a hardship there. But listen, there is something edifying about stepping into that. Christian hardship is a broad game, whether that be the intensity of, of direct persecution, which we know Timothy did end up dying for uh, as a martyr. So whether that be the intensity of persecution or just making small but stinging life decisions for the sake of the gospel, we're called to this hardship. We are called uh, to grow in that. And so what Paul does here is he gives us really three relatable, practical, relevant pictures of what it means to endure hardship. And he takes everyday examples, examples that people would be very familiar with. And so the first one he says, um, he already said it once, in verse 4, he's, he talks about a soldier. Verse 4, he says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. And there's a key word here that when you think of soldier, I think, you know, what comes to my mind always is this sense of allegiance, uh, obligation, duty, right? And I think it's important for us to understand that this is talking about on-duty soldiers, right? In fact, the word that we get for soldier here is what we translate by implication. The word means to make war. Who are the people that make war? Soldiers. What does it mean to make war when it comes to the spiritual realm? It means people who are contending directly against sin, against evil, against the curse. These are not nominal soldiers. These are not soldiers by name alone. These are not off-duty soldiers that are being talked about here. This is, this is an on-duty situation. On that note, I think the church has a lot of off-duty soldiers, right? We like the name. Um, we like the cause, um, though we may not uh, contribute to it much. We love the joys and the blessings of the gospel, but don't care to endure for it much. Many say they love God, but they're too tangled up in just the comforts of life to, to really prove it or to live it out. The Bible says that on-duty soldiers for Christ are, are actually those who are not entangled, right? He uses this word entangled here. Entangled in what? He says entangled in civilian life, which literally means just kind of the present existence, the here and the now, everything that everybody else is doing, uh, whatever it would mean to conform to everything that's around you, that is civilian life. But soldiers in Christ don't get entangled in this stuff, which literally means entwined or enfolded. 
And the image that came to my mind was that of just like a string. You know, if you have this one string and you hold it down and this is your gospel intention and, and, and you wanting to live out for the gospel and then you have all of these other strings of the pleasures of life and the comforts of life and you hold them together, together yeah, they touch, but as soon as you start twisting your fingers, what happens? Right? They all start becoming entwined with one another. This is uh, one, uh, something that happened not that long ago. I saw this image as my, uh, I bought a pair of shoes, and this pair of shoes came with a, a ton of shoelaces. And so I was lacing up these shoes, and then I decided I want a different pair, right? And so I asked my daughter, because up to this point, I gave her all of the other pairs of shoelaces. She wanted them, right? And she's back there, and she's watching me. She knows where I'm going. And so I said, hey, McKinley, bring me back that other pair of shoelaces. And by the time I asked her to do that, she had already took all of them and just braided them all together. You know, and then she nodded one end and nodded the other end and then cut them off. And so all we had was just this little rope of shoelaces, this singular unit, right? And so McKinley, naturally, I, I grabbed it and then I hit you with it, right? Because I needed to prove a point. Of course not, right? Um, of course not. We did keep it for a while because it was really, it was really funny. But that's the image, Right? It's, it's, it's the string of gospel focus and gospel intentionality when it gets entwined with just the civilian strings of worry and wealth and pleasures of life. That's when we start to go off duty. That's when we get distracted. That's when we get careless. Right? And actually, according to the Bible, that's when we, we stop growing spiritually. In Luke chapter 8, uh, Pastor Brett talked about this last week. Um, it's the parable of the sower, and all of the seeds are scattered on the ground, but there is a, uh, a ground that is growing all of these thorns, right? And so Jesus says in uh, verse 14, he says, As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, they go on their way, and they are choked by worries and riches and pleasures of life, and they produce no mature fruit. Man, this, is, this defines so many people, right? And if I'm not careful, even, even myself included, there are so many civilian things that feel good, look good, and promise a lot. And as soon as you start in, intertwining with all of it, what you'll find is your spiritual maturity coming to a halt. No fruit being born. Soldiers for Christ... They are not distracted by the pleasures of the here and the now. Rather, their focus is on pleasing their commanding officer, which is Jesus Christ. Their eyes are fixed on him, even knowing that the path to him is hardship. I mean, this was true for Jesus, wasn't it? He had his eyes fixed on his commanding officer, who was God. And even though uh, um, the, the, the backside of it is filled with honor, what it meant was a brutal death, suffering. Uh, kind of homeless, you know what I mean? Just not a whole lot of things, not a whole lot of toys and trinkets and, and, and pleasures in life. And yet what he has now is he's seated at the right hand of God, right? And the same is true for us, that if we want to follow him and pursue him and please our commanding officer, who is Jesus, then we fulfill his mission. And just a little heads up, the Bible says that the world's going to treat us like it treated him. And so when you experience hardship of many kinds for the name of Christ, the Bible actually says that you can consider yourself blessed, that there's actually joy in that. And I think Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 puts it, puts it well. Therefore, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and, and the sin that so easily ensnares us, right? 
That's the, the pleasures and the comforts. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, right? That's that fixed point. He is the perfecter and the pioneer of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? Now, I think a lot of times in our contemporary preaching, duty is not really a favorable word. Right? We preach grace and truth, but we want to err on the side of grace. We preach relationship over religion. Rules just feels too religion-y. Right? It feels, it feels too, too limiting. But listen, I usually defer to those things. But we also got to understand that, that God wants our affection, but he also demands our submission. He is your friend, and he is your king as well. He wants to have coffee with, with you in the morning. And he also wants authority over every decision you're going to make that day. I think without duty and without obligation, it's actually much easier for people to just bow out when it gets hard. And this is what people do all the time when they're serving leaders who they don't trust or who they don't respect. But listen, Christ is worthy of all of your trust and all of your respect. He's done so much more for you than anyone ever will. He offers more life and joy and peace than anyone ever could. He's good, and he's perfect, and he's just in all that he does. Who doesn't want to serve a king like that? And not only that, but to just carry it a step further, if you're here and you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and you've already confessed with your mouth and have believed in your heart, and you've been baptized under this fact that you want him to be king and Lord over your life, you already told him that you want him to have that place in your heart. You've already, you've already acknowledged the duty part and the obligation part, and you've been okay with that. I don't know why Christians so often say all of that to come into the kingdom, but then once they're in the kingdom, they have a really hard time following what the king wants them to do. So I have no problem preaching duty, right? I have no problem preaching obligation. He has done so much. And I think whenever he calls us to do something that's uncomfortable or hard, that duty, that sense of duty can really help uh, spur our endurance on. But he doesn't just call us to endurance, right? He doesn't just call us to, uh, um, to endure, but he also gives us the rules to follow in that, right? He's made it clear. And so that's what brings us to this next example of the athlete. Look with me at uh, verse 5. He says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, which is an interesting take. We'll talk that, about that in a second. But first, I just want to make uh, just a by-the-way comment, right? This does not mean uh, because the Apostle Paul kind of used some sports references every once in a while that he would have just zoned out on ESPN for hours on end. You know what I mean? I've heard preachers actually say that Paul was a huge sports fan, and he, he would have loved ESPN, and he would have loved, you know, because he uses these sport metaphors. But I think if you've read Paul, you know that he didn't have time for that. Right? He's too busy, like, sharing the gospel and stuff and traveling around and getting whipped and beaten and broken, you know what I mean, for the sake of the gospel. He didn't have time for that. Not only that, but I think it's important to note that in ancient Greece, athletics and the games, that was tied directly to idolatry. Right? Everything he's thinking about and talking about in ancient Greece was what was called the Olympiad uh, cycle of games. So there's the Isthmian games and the Nemean games and the Pythian games uh, and the Olympic games, right, scattered all over anxious, ancient Greece. And they were all in devotion to Greek gods like Zeus and Apollo and Poseidon and, and Hercules, right? Each one uh, um, was in devotion to a, to a certain god. Now, was Paul a fan of idolatry? 
or the things that came with it. No, he wasn't. Paul's not declaring his love for sports here. By the way, there's still a, a, a very strong connection between sports and idolatry, right? The names have changed and the stadiums have changed, but idolatry is still there. Paul wasn't praising sports. What he was doing was using a, a clear, culturally relevant picture to explain his spiritual point. He wasn't using sports, but as he said, I'll become all things to all people. He was able to use, use the culturally relevant things around him to draw people to Jesus. Right? He was skilled at it. Jesus was too. Because even with the idolatry, it was common entertainment for people. So if you grew up in the area, and Timothy did, then you would know what he was talking about. It would be a clear picture for you. And what he's saying here, the spiritual point, is that in the competition, there are rules to follow. So that your activity is, is legitimate and you may even, uh, it may even lead to a crown. I think in other passages where he talks about sports and, and uh, you know, not necessarily sports, but just competition, right, and athleticism, he, he uses it to talk about the spiritual principle of like self-discipline, self-focus, you know, how to, how to kind of train your body and your spiritual body. But here in 2 Timothy, he seems to emphasize something different, right? And it's kind of unique. He's emphasizing obedience, to play by the rules. I think that's kind of, kind of interesting. It's not my first go-to when I think of uh, uh, competition. So what are the rules to follow? What are the rules that we obey? Well, it's the rules of life presented in the authority for all living. It's this thing that you have in your hands, tattered and broken and written on. This is the authority for all living. It's the Holy Scriptures. In it, we have God's teaching. In it, we have Jesus' teaching. You can call them rules if you want. You can call them just calls to faithfulness. But there, it is our way of living in obedience. It's our way of, of running the race well so that we might get the crown and not be disqualified. This is our way. And when you act outside of this and you try to cut corners outside of this, then you might finish the race, but you're not going to get the crown because you didn't do it legitimately. All right? This is our authority. And again, talking about words that I think a lot of people struggle preaching about these days is rules. Again, we're relationship people. We're not religion people, and rules is religion stuff. But listen, these rules, they, they, they are not limiting as people think, right? And even if you're going to pursue the Lord, there are commands and things in the Scripture that we must follow. I think the reason we don't like preaching about rules Right, it's because we think that somehow uh, um, people are going to just feel like they're, they're tying themselves to a ball and chain when we forget that rules in Scripture are actually tied to God's wonderful promises and his faithfulness to us. For example, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, listen. And my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, those are the rules, then I will hear from heaven. This is God speaking. I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, what's so wrong about that rule? Outside of you might need to give up a little bit of pride for him to hear you, forgive you, and heal you. That sounds life-giving to me. How about Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? This is Jesus talking about everyday provisions that everybody needs. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. All of your daily needs and necessities and provisions. Seems like a pretty good rule to me. Seek him first in everything, and he's going to make sure you have everything you need. How about Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7? 
I just picked three out of 100 um, that we could have used. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The more you read through these rules in Scripture, the more you realize that these, I guess, could feel like rules to you, but they are calls to faithfulness, and they are always coupled with a promise. And so when the Bible declares one of these rules, you have the option of seeing it as a rule, as you understand, this ball and chain on your life, or as a gift and promise of life. And that's your decision to make. So when you read the Bible and you read Matthew 6.33 and you, you understand the rule of seeking him before all else, right, which means giving him the first of your money and your influence and your body and your sexuality and your time, do you see that as a promise of provision and freedom? Or do you see that as God uh, just kind of, you know, throwing a drag on your fun? Or how about the promise of, um, or the rule of being a person of prayer and gratitude as it says in Philippians 4? Do you see that as a promise for peace or a chain of inconvenience? Or how about the biblical, uh, the biblical rule of, of maintaining sexual purity in all that you do, right? Do you trust that as a promise for relational health and, and blessing for you and your future spouse and, and everything else that he wants good for you in that? Or do you see it as a, as a burden just too heavy to bear and so you just cut any corner that you can with whoever? How about, how about the rule to be uh, an Ephesians 5 father that leads your family to the Lord and loves your wife like Christ loves the church and to take interest and notice of the spiritual climate in your home and the hearts of your family? Is that a promise for fulfillment and intimacy for you? Or does that conflict too much with just your hobbies and career and whatever this false sense of, you know, hard masculinity where you just don't know how to be tender or loving to your wife and your kids? Your choice to see them as balls and chains or gifts and promises for something better. And do you trust God that his way is better? And I'll be the first to tell you in each one of these areas, obedience is not always easy. In fact, it's, it's oftentimes a hardship. But it is essential. And that is directly the point that Paul is making. Endurance and hardship and suffering, they are not easy things. But do we trust the promise on the backside of those and trust that that is so, so, so much more worth it to do his way than our way. I'm talking about living a really hard life. I'm talking about hardship. The third example, I think, takes the cake. It's the farmer. Right? Look with me at verse 6. He says, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Now, when you see hardworking there, again, we translate that hardworking in the English. That's uh, an implied word because the word there is fatigue. Now, how do you get fatigued from hard work, right? So that's, that's why the connection there. But the word here is actually fatigue, that this is a fatigued farmer. By the way, did you ever know that, you know, God actually calls us sometimes to a level of fatigue on behalf of his gospel, right? Sometimes we need to feel fatigued every once in a while for the work of his gospel. If you haven't felt fatigue in a while, right, then you're probably not doing it 100% correct. Fatigue should be uh, a frequent visit, for the Christian who's actually on mission for the gospel. But this is a fatigue. This is the picture of this farmer. I, I just think it's so compelling because when I see this, I think all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, when God, uh, because of sin, God says this to the man, right? He says, the ground is cursed because of you, and you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. 
And so what I see here and what I think about here is this farmer, this picture of this man who is contending directly against the stain upon the earth through hard work and toil. Right? For the soldier, this is war. For the, uh, for the athlete, this is competition. But for the farmer, it is tilling the ground by hand, blisters and sweat and blood, and, and fatigue in a way as he directly fights the curse of sin. And even though God allows the toil, and some might even make the statement that he caused the toil back in Genesis 3, and you can handle that on your own. For now, we see that God uses that same toil, that same fatigue to actually redeem and grow his people. You know God doesn't promise a weary free life. And there is a breed of Christianity out there that likes to promise that. That if you follow God and pursue God, uh, that he'll just make everything better. It's this motivational Christianity, right? It prizes and even falsely promises kind of this well-off, put-together, weary-free, be-the-best-you, hashtag-blessed, photogenic Christian life. And that just runs so contrary to what, so much of what Jesus in the New Testament teaches. And so when we read passages like a Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, which is a passage a lot of us love and have found great hope in, come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that weird breed of Christianity likes to take passages like that and see, see, God, God wants you to be happy. He doesn't want you to experience any burden, any pain, any yoke. But Jesus doesn't promise that or even say that, does he? He says, take my yoke. Right? He promises rest. He promises ease. But there's still going to be a yoke. In fact, Jesus promised otherwise. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Why do you need to have peace? Because in this world you will have suffering. But take heart. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Weary free is not our primary goal as Christians. Right? It's not primary for us. In fact, we through the ministry of the word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we, we have come to learn that when we actually trust God and his word, that there's actually a, a greater sense of peace and gratitude and joy and rest and provision and fullness of life when we give up of ourselves and endure hardship for Christ and his gospel. Some of the most satisfied people in this life are those who are doing radical, hard Things of, of suffering, but they have a complete peace and joy and rest because they, are, they know that they are doing it directly for the Lord, and God gives that to them. And we see that with the on-duty soldier who gave up all of his off-duty privileges of, of the comforts and all that kind of stuff, but with the, uh, um, knowing that he is actually pleasing his commanding officer. I'll take that trade any day to know that what I'm doing is directly pleasing to my king. Or the rule-following athlete who, who, who doesn't cut all the corners, but he does it God's way. And at the end of the race, even though he might not be the first one at the finish line, he'll be the only one who was deemed legitimate, and he will get the crown. Or the fatigued farmer who breaks his body against the ground, but is the first to share in the harvest. What Paul is doing is he's, he's pulling on the pictures of everyday people doing everyday things to emphasize an everyday endurance that God wants to create in us as well. 
And if you're here and you're a soldier or a farmer or an athlete or a union worker or a musician or a nurse or a pastor or a graphic artist or a student or an at-home video game enthusiast, there is an everyday endurance for the everyday person, and God is calling us to it all the time. It's a constant call. To, to, to stand against comfort and convenience, to obey his way, to always be in the, in the path of stretching. And though we might embrace new hardships, it will always be 100% better for you and your faith and for those around you to sense what God is doing in your life. And so, what does all this look like for us? Well, I think he says it pretty clear in verse 7, and this is what I want to leave you with. Right, uh, Lisa's uh, word here um, was to reflect in her translation. What we see here in verse 7 is to consider. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love that. That word consider literally just means to, to use your mind. Right? Use your mind on how you might be a continued example, like the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. How will you be an example of the endurance of Christ? People who... who Invite the stretching, knowing that it's probably going to leave some stretch marks. This is what Christians are called to be. And as you consider, all right, as you consider, I want to give you just three little things that will help you as you navigate and as you pray and as you invite God to do this work in your own life, to grow you in your own faith and to use you more for the gospel. And the first is this, it's to pray. Nothing is ever truly considered if it's not regularly prayed about. I'm not going to tell you how many times. I have said, okay, God, I'm going to do this. Or, okay, God, I, I get it. It's time, it's time for me to change. I'm going to make this change. I'm going to do this thing. And then I forget about it the next day. Why? Because I never prayed about it, nor did I make any plan to regularly pray about it. It just, right, it wasn't a true consideration. It was a moment of, like, lofty thinking, and then it just fizzled out. How many of you guys know that, right? A lot of, lots of us do. So to regularly pray about this thing. If God has created this conviction in your heart, write it down, add it to your prayer list, and say, I'm going to pray about this for a month straight every single day and just see what God does with that. To pray about it. Ask God to stretch you. Invite his, his endurance to be created in you. Know that it'll sting and trust his promises on the backside of that sting. Right? In fact, that's the second one. Not only to pray about it, but to remember the promises. So after God kind of starts convicting you, or you're in that prayerful process of seeking God, he starts to clear some things up for you, and he, he's showing you what that call of faithfulness might be for you in your life, then seek the scriptures, study the scriptures, and start noticing the promises that are tied to those rules or those calls to faithfulness. They're there. Whatever God's going to call you to, there's a promise or multiple promises in the scripture that will help kind of undergird your endurance as you go into that. And so write them down on note, uh, uh, post-it notes and put them all over your, your bathroom sink or your, 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 your office computer, right? Send yourself reminders in your phone. Make a bracelet to remind you. I don't know what you do to remind yourself, but, but do something to remind yourself of these promises and then live in those, right? And the third is this, and I think it's a good outcome of your prayerful scriptural approach as you consider is that as God makes this clear think about an actual plan for obedience right again this is a missing link for me a lot as I say God okay I'm going to obey this thing I'm going to make this change I'm going to do this thing and then it's just all in like theory zone right it's all theoretical until there's actually some tangible steps to take and so for me, it's, it's a lot of times I need to just write down, well, I'm going to pray about it for this amount of time, and I'm going to read this specific book, or I'm going to take this specific course, or I'm going to do this specific thing 
to give God more tools to use in my own heart so that I can follow him in obedience, right? And so for you, I don't know what that might be. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even believe this stuff, right? I've listened to this guy just rant out of breath with the stuff he knows the whole time. I don't, I, don't even, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't necessarily believe it, but I do feel a tug. I feel a nudge. I mean, everybody's here worshiping and gathering and thinking seriously about this thing. Maybe I need to think seriously about it. For you, let's put some tangible steps on this, right? If you don't even know if you believe, you don't know what this is about, I would encourage you to make a plan for what God's nudging you to do. Start reading in the Bible. Start in the Gospel of John and start reading a chapter a day, right? Kind of write your own prescription to do that. Uh, Commit to talking to a pastor. Commit to just attending church for, you know, uh, uh, 10 out of the next 12 weeks, I'm going to go to church, right? I've been out of the habit. I'm just going to go and I'm going to give the Lord a chance to use all of that to convince me of something, Maybe you're here and uh, you feel like God's just drawing you to get deeper into church. You've been attending forever and you're like, I, it's time. I need, I need to go deeper, right? Well, then literally we've made that as easy as possible for you. You can just go to our website and go to the Go Deeper tab and you'll have everything there. You can talk to a pastor. You can sign up for a group. You can sign up for, uh, uh, to be on a team to serve uh, our teams here at FBN, right? It's an easy step to take to follow the Lord in obedience, Maybe you're here and it's less about outflow and intake and it's, it's more about something that needs to change inside, right? You're just tired of being impatient with your kids. You're tired of being angry. You're tired of, of, of not being able to be trustworthy with your loneliness and you start looking at whatever you look at to cut the corners on the internet. You're tired of this stuff. What's your plan? Is it, ever, is it ever go deeper than just theoretical? There's books to read. There's people to talk to. There's account, accountability groups to create or join. There's devices to throw away. There's things that you can do. What's your plan? It's a plan for obedience, certainly led by the Lord. Listen, if you want to be a better parent, if you want to get out of debt, if you want to be a better spouse, Kenzie and I, I mean, I just, uh, not to give you too many details, but we recently just took a course because we were having a hard time communicating about something. So we paid 50 bucks for just this little course through Family Life Ministries. And it gave us all of the tools that we needed to communicate what we were trying to communicate but couldn't. It removed all of the defensiveness, all of the, the critical nature of it all, and it just gave us a pathway to actually communicate what we were truly feeling in a way that produced intimacy. It was a simple step, but it had dramatic impact, right? Fathers, dads, I mean, do you think creatively to try to find those things to help open up these pathways so that you can pursue obedience in a way that God is calling you to pursue it, right? So what's your plan? Pray about it, remember his promises, and then put some, put some flesh on your plan for obedience. And listen, we, we want to we're so serious about this. We want to join you in this work, right? So as you think about what step of endurance is God calling me to, as you consider this and, and your plan to obey, we want to join you in praying for this as, as you consider it all, right? And so literally, we made it as easy as possible. First of all, if you want us to pray for you in this, you can grab a welcome card, just scribble on it anywhere, right? Scribble on it anywhere, what God is wanting to do to stretch you and then put it, uh, turn it in at the Connect desk. And we'll pray for you. We meet every Monday morning. Our staff does. You can leave it anonymous if you're more comfortable with that. And we'll just, we'll pray over that. Uh, if you're a little more tech savvy, you can actually text today, you can text the word ENDURE 
right, E-N-D-U-R-E, to 84576, and you'll get a link that goes directly. It just opens a line of contact where you can give us your name, tell us how God is wanting to stretch you today, and you can even say um, that you would love to talk to a pastor about this, right? You can do that. Text in door to 84576, and we'll put that up on the screen later. Whatever it is, we would love to come alongside you to pray with you as God wants to stretch you. He does want to stretch you. Whatever God is calling you to, there is going to be some hardship, There's going to be some stretching and maybe some residual stretch marks. But the promise and outcome, right, is so, so, so worth it. It will be worth it for your life, for your walk with Christ, and for those around you. You can trust him on this, right? Let me pray for us. Our Father, we trust you. For anybody in here who's struggling with their trust to you right now, I pray that you would convince them that you are good, that you are perfect, that you are holy, that you want the best for them. And even though the best may not feel the best at times, it will be the best for them long term and that you will give them what they need to pursue that. I pray that you would give us that trust in you to do this work. For anybody in here who's feeling uh, uh, like you are just tugging on their hearts to make a move, uh, to move a decision from the theoretical zone into the practical zone. I pray that you'd give them what they need, the courage and the strength uh, that is in Jesus Christ to make that move, to make that motion in their life. For anybody in here who's just gone, uh, has just gone so long, just kind of weary free and everything's just been really good and there's no issues, I pray that you would help them understand that there's always something to pursue and always something uh, um, to be stretched in. Right? We haven't arrived until, until we're with you in glory. And so I pray that you would help us all always be in the place of inviting your stretching and, and inviting your development of endurance in us. God, if there's anyone in here who doesn't believe in you as their king, who's never made that decision, I pray also that they would know without a doubt today because of the work of your Holy Spirit in their hearts um, that you are a righteous and perfect and trustworthy king and that they can give their lives to you and that they can uh, accept you as their savior and that you'll never let them down. Even in the hardships, you will be there for them and that the peace and joy and confidence and, and provision that you offer is so much better than what civilian life offers. So God, we pray that you would do this work among us and that you would do um, whatever you need to do in each of our individual hearts, all to the praise and glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's just stand and respond and worship together. Um, We're gonna sing Christ is enough. And I think a lot of times it's hard for us to, um, to really get to the place that where we can acknowledge that we